you have your Bible, uh, your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 21 to 33. If you've grown up in the church, you've been a Christian any length of time, or even if you've gone to a number of weddings in your life, I'm fairly confident that the passage we're going to look at this morning will be somewhat familiar to you. Even if you've not grown up in the church, even if you're a fairly new Christian, I'm fairly confident that you will have heard at some point in your life the passage that we're going to look at this morning for one reason or another. It has to do with marriage. We've been going through the book of Ephesians uh, and the letter that Paul wrote to the first century church at Ephesus. And we're getting to that part, we're in that part of the letter where Paul really gives some clear directives about specific parts of the Christian life. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 really gets at some specific directives about Christian marriage. Christian marriage. And so we're going to take uh, a few minutes this morning and talk about that, about Christian marriage and what it is to be in a Christian marriage. I recognize that not everyone here this morning is married. I recognize uh, that that's not the case for everyone, but uh, I pray that you'll receive something from this morning's message. If nothing more, you leave here with a greater biblical understanding of what Christian marriage is. It's important to pay attention to marriage. Um, It's a little bit like, I read one illustration this week, uh, paying attention to your marriage is a little bit like when you're flying in an airplane and they give you some of those instructions before you take off. I know many of you ignore them. But what are the instructions that they give you before you take off? Can anyone remember some of those? What are they? Seatbelt. They show you how to buckle your seatbelt, in case you don't know that. What else? Sit upright, yes. Put your seat upright. Put your tray table up. What else? Oxygen mask. That's the one I was looking for. And they give you some very specific commands about the oxygen mask. What do they tell you about the oxygen mask? There's the one I'm looking for. Somebody listens. It's not just my son who sits and reads the card intently and chastises me for not doing it. Put your own oxygen mask on first and then help your children, right? And all of us who are parents wonder if in that moment we'd actually be able to do that uh, because you'd be so tempted to help your child first, right? But they, they tell you that for a reason because they want you to be able to function and be in a safe place and then you can help those children, those minors that are flying with you. Marriage is kind of like that. In our world, there may be temptations for some parents to put their kids' oxygen masks on first or to spend all of their time, energy, and effort focused on their children and to neglect their marriage. And when that happens and when that uh, takes place, what really happens is that you're not in a place to really be able to speak into and minister in your kids' lives. So we're going to talk this morning about marriage, and it's important because if you don't focus on your marriage, everything kind of starts from there for a Christian family. Everything starts with that relationship between husbands and wives. I tell uh, husbands and wives when I'm doing counseling, the best gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. Uh, And I know some parents, for them, that's a hard thing to understand because they think, no, we're going to focus all on our kids. 
But the best gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. So we're going to talk about marriage this morning. And specifically, I've called this message Roll Call. We're going to talk about the roles in marriage, the different roles that are there. There was one couple that had been married 60 years, and they were there on their 60th anniversary. Their family had thrown them a party, and they asked the question, how have you stayed married for 60 years in this day and age? You just don't hear about it very often. And the, uh, the husband spoke up quickly. He said, we made a decision on our wedding day. The decision on our wedding day was this. I would make all the major decisions, <laughs> and she would make all the minor decisions. And the wife quickly spoke up and said, in 60 years, we've never had to make a major decision. (laughs) I don't know whose fault that was, but I don't know who's defining major and minor decisions. We're going to talk about marriage. Roll call. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It starts with this. It's important. I put this, I set this verse off by itself because I want to read it. I want it to frame the context of what we are reading. I'm going to read it first, and then let's read it together. I'll read it first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's read it together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's do that again. I want you to have that really seared on your brain as we get into the rest of this passage. Ready? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now the rest of the passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Perhaps no other text in all of Scripture would I feel like I possibly need to spend an entire message talking about what this passage does not mean as I looked at this passage this week. The message has two very big pieces of baggage in it already, right? You already feel them, some of you, some of you don't, and some of you feel them very heavy. There's two pieces of baggage that this scripture contains right off the bat. One is the S word. Submit is in there. And the other is the abuse that this passage and the misuse that this passage 
has been used for in Christian homes and even from Christian platforms and pulpits throughout history. And so those two pieces of baggage are there, and I recognize them right off the bat, and we're going to talk about them. Like I said, I could talk about what this passage does not mean. We will spend a few minutes talking about what this passage does not mean, and then we'll look at what exactly Paul, and uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us this morning. There are inherent challenges in me preaching this message. I recognize that. Um, it's one thing to preach a message like this about husbands love your wives at a men's retreat. It's another thing to preach wives submit to your husbands when women are in the audience and I'm a man up here. I understand that. Some of you women might have already turned me off and tuned me out because questions like how could I know what it's like to be the one given the instruction to submit in marriage? Isn't it always easier to speak from a position of power and instruct people in something that you yourself are not subject to. You know, am I up here like, uh, like the legislature making laws and things that I don't have to abide by? I don't think that that's the case, but I humbly approach this text understanding that that uh, reality is out there. As I thought about that this week, I thought, well, Women are called, in this passage, wives are called to submit to their husbands, but husbands are called to die, if you think about it, right? I mean, love your wife as Christ loved the church is lay your life down for her. Love her in such a way that you would die for her. And I thought, well, surely dying is harder than submission, so I have some, you know, credibility in speaking. But then I thought, I don't know if that's always the case in our 21st century individualistic American culture. I think sometimes we might rather die than submit to authority. <laughs> Pastor Brian gave me a great illustration of, of how this happens in our language earlier. He said, we use an expression, over my dead body. And doesn't that exactly mean it, right? Don't we mean, no way am I submitting to your over my dead body will I do that. Some ways in our world, submission, we feel, is even harder than dying. But I do feel I have some credibility to stand on as I speak to you men and women today because we are all under mutual submission. I stand before you as a, a Christian, a man who also submits to one another, as the passage says, but who also submits to Christ as our Lord, as a part of the church, right? Men, women, all of us are called to live lives submitted to the authority of Christ as Lord. And so we approach the passage from that pa posture. I approach the passage very humbly, and I approach this message very humbly, and from that passage this morning. Let me give one more reminder as we get into the passage, and this is, the reminder is that this passage was written to Christian men and women. This passage was written to the church at Ephesus. It was not written to men and women who are entered into a contract. It was not written to men and women who entered into a relationship to seek their own pleasure or their own advancement. It is written to men and women who have entered into the Christian covenant of marriage committed to loving one another and pursuing and glorifying God 
in one another. That's very different than a contract that says, I'm going to stay with you as long as you make me happy. Because if you try and live out these principles in a relationship that says, I'm here as long as you make me happy, I think you'll find it extremely difficult. In fact, you might be here this morning and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're visiting, you're a guest here, you're exploring Christianity. And when I read that passage this morning, it already graded against something within you possibly. That's understandable. I would even say it's expected because in the world we live in, in the society and culture we live in, it certainly grates against culture. And to be fair, 2,000 years ago, it would have grated against their ears as well. Just not the section that grates against your ears. Wives, submit to your husbands. They would have passed right over that. Of course, no big deal. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and lay your life, be willing to lay your life down for her. What? Are you crazy, Paul? That would have been outlandish because Paul was writing in a time where many, in many societies, especially in Greek and Roman societies, wives were considered almost property. And they were exploited and oppressed and a wife was there to raise your children, but you had girlfriends and concubines for other reasons. And so when for Paul to write, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church would have grated on their ears the way that wives submit to your husbands may be grating on some ears this morning. So let's start with talking about what this passage is not talking about. Let me talk a little bit, spend a couple minutes, tell you four things this passage is not saying. Four things that are not being said in this passage that I think it's important just kind of unpack this baggage a little and then we'll talk about two things that the passage is very clearly saying. And the first thing this passage is not saying is this, submitting and headship or leadership, submitting and headship is not about worth, value, or standing before God. Submitting and headship and leadership issues are not about worth, value, or standing before God. What this passage is not saying is that there is a difference of worth, value, or a difference of standing before God between men and women or husbands and wives. Paul is not contradicting what he wrote earlier in this letter where he argued vehemently for the unity and the oneness of the body, and he's certainly not contradicting what he wrote in Galatians uh, when he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse is talking about value, not roles. There is no difference in value and worth. We are all redeemed by the same precious blood of Christ. No more, no less. There is no, this is not talking about value. One, uh, one theologian uh, said it this way, equality of worth is not identity of role. There can be a distinction of role without being a distinction of worth. Sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our head around that in our world because in our world, difference of role almost always means difference of worth, right? So you go to work and the CEO 
is valued at one level of worth, and the guy that just got hired yesterday and is at the beginning and the bottom of the ladder is valued at another level of worth. And so we're often in the mindset that difference of role means difference of worth. But that's not necessarily, that's not the way we need to look at this passage. A difference of role isn't necessarily a difference of worth. Think of it, let me give you a different way to think of it. Think of it like a car. A car has something, has an engine and a fuel tank. They have different roles, but the car goes nowhere without both of them, right? You need both. Different roles, but not a difference in value because you're not going anywhere without your fuel tank and you're not going anywhere without the engine. Both are essential to move the car forward. And it's the same thing. If you go back to Genesis where God created male and female, you might say, you might remember that when God created them, he said uh, God created Eve as a helpmate or a helper for Adam. And we think of that word as a helper, like an assistant, right? Come along and you're going to help and you're going to assist. I mean, I could do it anyway, but if you want to help and assist, that's, you know, that's fine. We think of helper like that, but that's not the biblical word helper. How do I know that? Because many times throughout the Bible, God calls himself our helper. And he's not our assistant. He's not someone that, that, that we could get things done without him. It's essential. In fact, um, when many battles were fought in the Bible, uh, they, they, we're told that help came. And if the help didn't come, the battle would have been lost. So when the Bible calls a woman and Eve, the creation, a helpmate, it's not like an assistant. It means you're essential to the mission, and the mission doesn't get accomplished without both people present. So the first point for us to understand is a difference is submitting and headship is not about worth, value, or standing before God. The second point is this. What it's not about, headship is not about authoritarianism or selfish indulgence. Headship is not about authoritarianism or selfish indulgence. One problem with headship and leadership and authority in our world is that it is always wielded by sinners and so often becomes corrupt. But this passage is not talking about authoritarianism or selfish indulgence. In fact, let me be 100% clear on this issue. This is not about husbands ordering their wives around. This passage is not about that in any way. In fact, husbands, if the words, I am the husband and you are called or directed and instructed to submit should ever cross your lips, if they ever do, you can be almost sure you are not fulfilling your role of loving your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not, this passage is not talking about authoritarianism or lording power over somebody. In fact, we know this because it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Think about how Christ loved his church. Laying down his life. I think of one instance when he's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He's being spit at, he's being ridiculed, and nails have been driven through his hands and feet, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how he loves the church, and that's how husbands are called to love their wives. And so it's not about authoritarianism. 
Headship is about service. Leadership is about service. Servant leadership is what, what God calls husbands to. I thought about, in, in high school, I had a job at a grocery store. And the title for my role at one point, I don't know if they still call it this, was head cashier. Uh, I don't know if they still call it that or not. But ultimately, what my responsibilities were were to run the front end of the grocery store, right? So I, I watched over the, the cashiers and the baggers. And so my role was to make sure the cashiers had everything they needed. They had all their money, their change, their receipt tape. They had everything that they needed. The, the baggers had all their bags. The carriages or shopping carts, whatever you want to call them, were there for the customers. And everything moved slowly as the, uh, slowly, smoothly as the head cashier. Maybe they did run slowly under me. But if they did run slowly, what that meant was I was not doing my job as the head cashier. See, what headship was really was service. I was there to serve every cashier. I was there to serve every bagger. I was there to serve every customer. And if I didn't serve them well, I wasn't fulfilling my role. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church means you are there to serve and to see your wife become all that God has created her to be. And if you don't serve her well in the way that Christ would serve her and loves his church, then we are not fulfilling our role. It's not about authoritarianism. It's not about lording power over somebody. It's about servant leadership as modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's not mix that up. Let's not get that wrong. Because I realize in a week that, like this with the news cycle that we're in, when the thing leading just about every news story in the Boston area is a story about domestic violence that led to a young woman's murder, I realize that when that leads the news story and we bring a passage like wives submit to your husbands, that this passage has been abused and misused by some men over the years. It is not saying this passage an authoritarianism and a lording over power and authority is given to men, and we need to be completely clear on that matter. Third thing this passage is not saying, the call to submit is not about giving up your identity. The call to submit is not about giving up your identity. I think some women, some wives will come to this passage and say, if I submit, it gives up who I am. It gives up a part of my personality. It gives up who I am. But I point to Jesus. Jesus who did not give up his identity but actually became greater by submitting to the will of his father. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And listen to this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Christ humbling himself, submitting to the will of the Father actually elevated him. And sometimes we think that if we submit, we lose something. We lose our identity. 
But if we look at Jesus as our example, that's not actually what happens. So the call to submit is not about giving up your identity. See, the husband is to help the wife become all that she can be, just as Christ served the church, you know, so that she could become all that the church could be. The fourth point is this. Submitting and headship is not about externals. Submitting and headship is not about externals, and this is what I mean. It's not about any particular division of labor in a household. What we are not talking about, this is not talking about who makes more money. This is not talking about who works more hours. This is not talking about who does the dishes, who changes the diapers. Those things are not mentioned here at all. Submitting and headship can be lived out with very different divisions of labor within a household. You might be one season of life and your schedules and your life look one way and then in a different season of life they look very different or it looks different from your neighbors or your friends. This passage is not talking about who makes the most money. Those principles can be lived out in every Christian household. The principles of submission to headship and leadership and the principles of loving as Christ loved can be lived out and externals might look very different. It's not talking about externals in this passage. Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller, puts it this way. She says, the external details of a family's division of labor may be worked out differently across marriages and societies, but the tender serving authority of a husband's headship and the strong, gracious gift of a wife's submission restore us to who we were meant to be at creation. It's not about how the externals look, but it's about... Submission to headship, and it's about loving as Christ loves his church. So these four points, this passage is not talking about a difference of worth. It's not talking about authoritarianism. It's not talking about giving up your identity. It's not talking about the externals. But what is it talking about? Let me give you two quick principles, what this passage is very clearly talking about. The first one is this. Though there are different roles, both of these roles are serving roles. Though there are different roles, both of these roles are serving roles. You might read the passage and you think, no, it's only calling the wife to service and submission. Why is only the wife called to service and and submitting to the headship of Christ? But they're both servant roles. The wife serves her husband and Jesus through, lovely, through lovingly submitting to her husband's leadership, but the husband serves his wife by loving her as Christ loves his church to the point of giving his life for her. Bonhoeffer says when a person comes to Christ, Jesus bids him come and die. Husbands, I would say that in this passage, when you come to your marriage, he bids you once again come and die. It's no coincidence that you get married on something called an altar. You are offering yourself, and husbands, according to this passage, you are saying, I will lay down my life in service and love of my wife. And that, I don't think that means just you jump in front of a car if it's coming her way, because that would be a very impractical application that really you only get to apply once in your life. 
but I think it's said in the same way that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's a daily taking up of your cross. It's a daily dying to ourselves for the benefit of someone else. It's a daily service and love. And so it's a submission for both the wife and the husband. But maybe you're sitting here as a wife and you say, how can I submit? Perhaps your husband isn't in a position where he's loving you as Christ loved the church. And you might say, you know what, I'm in a situation where how can I submit to something that maybe your husband is trying to lead you down a path that is not glorifying to God. John Stott, I think, addresses this well. He says, the submission required is to God's authority delegated to human beings. If, therefore, they misuse their God-given authority by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then our duty is no longer conscientiously to submit, but conscientiously to refuse to do so. For to submit in such circumstances would be to disobey God. The principle is clear. We must submit right up to the point where obedience to human authority would involve disobedience to God. We learn this principle in the book of Acts, right? When the disciples, they were willing to submit to the authorities around them until the point where they told them to disobey God. And they said, we can't. We have to obey God and not man. And so there is a servant submission to headship um, for, that the woman is called to, but there is also a service that the man is called to. And let me just speak to husbands just for a moment. Because I think some husbands may be happy to have this passage misinterpreted and to say something that it isn't saying. Not about the abuse side, because I, I would hope we can all come to the place where we would recognize clearly that that's something never endorsed by Scripture anywhere. But I think on the other extreme opposite, I think some husbands may be happy to see this passage misinterpreted to say that there is no differentiation of roles that we're all equal. There's an egalitarianness to it, that there is no differentiation of roles. And why would, they, would someone desire this? Because with headship, with leadership, always comes responsibility. You don't get leadership without responsibility. You don't get influence and headship without responsibility. And frankly, I think there are some Christian husbands, men, who would rather abdicate their responsibility and almost look chivalrous in doing so. Oh, no, 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 no. That's 2,000 years ago. That submitting thing, we're just going to forget about that. Not in our house. That doesn't apply now. That doesn't. And in doing so, what's really happening is saying, you know what? We're going to share the responsibility for these decisions. But what Paul is saying in this passage is ultimately, husband, in your Christian marriage, you are responsible ultimately to serve and love your wife and for your family. See, with leadership always comes responsibility. If you've been in a membership class at Mount Hope and, uh, and I've had the chance to speak, uh, you've probably heard me talk about this principle. That every time you go, gain, um, every time you gain influence, every time you gain leadership, you always gain responsibility with it. You know who the least responsible person in a church is on a day like this? The person who has the least amount of responsibility? The person who just walked in the door for the first time today. You have no responsibility. 
You can walk in and walk out whenever you want. You don't have to teach a class. You don't have to help uh, greet. You don't have to assist. You don't have to support the church financially. You don't have to do it. You just walk in, walk out. You have the least amount of responsibility of anyone in the church. You also have the least amount of influence, leadership, and, and authority in the church person who has the most amount of responsibility in the church, I would probably have to argue would be the senior pastor. I have the least, I have the most responsibility as well as the most influence. I have the chance to influence and speak on behalf and speak God's word up here, but I also don't have the freedom just to walk out. I don't have the freedom just to come and go as I please. I don't have the freedom not to show up on a Sunday. I don't have the freedom not to be here. See, when you gain influence, you give up freedom and you gain responsibility. And that's what happens in marriage. And quite frankly, I think there are some men who are all too happy in the name of chivalry, in the name of egalitarianism, in the name of 21st century social norms to just say we're equal in our roles because they don't want the responsibility. See, what God is looking for is not someone who abuses this, this, uh, this situation and not someone who abdicates it, but what God is looking for is godly men who will accept their God-given responsibility to their families and before God to live out and lead and love their wife and lead their family. And quite frankly, I think there are too many men who we are too willing to abdicate that responsibility and God is calling us to accept it. And so we're all called to serve and husbands, we are called to serve our wives and to love them as Christ loved the church. Second point is this. Second and final point is this. Christ is our example for both submitting and loving servant leadership. Christ is our example for both submitting and loving servant leadership. Christian wife, before you jump to the conclusion that submitting is somehow degrading and shameful, then consider that no one was more submissive than Jesus Christ. In the garden, when he knew what was coming, and he prayed, Father, if there's any way to go about this another way, please take this cup from me. But he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. No one was more submissive than Jesus Christ. And so Christian wife, when, when, when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God calls you to this, it's not anything that Jesus hasn't already lived out and modeled for you and also gives you the strength to live out. But also, Christian husband, no one exercised more servant leadership than Jesus. No one modeled in a greater way what it is to be a servant leader, to love until it hurts, to love until death, to lay down his life, to bring uh, the kingdom of God wherever he went. No one modeled this more than Jesus. And so Christ is our example for both submitting and loving servant leadership. Tim Keller defines passion as the willingness to sacrifice your freedom for someone else. 
The willingness to sacrifice your freedom for someone else. That's why we call it the passion of the Christ. That's why we call it Passion Week. The willingness to sacrifice your freedom and lay down your life for someone else. So if you want more passion in your marriage, be willing to sacrifice and lay down your life for the person you're married to. That's what true passion and love is. But let me, so, so the two things, different roles are both serving and Christ is our example for both submitting and uh, for loving servant leadership. But let me get to the part that's really on your minds. What does it look like practically? What do, oh, this is all fine in theory and theology. But what does it look like when the rubber hits the road tomorrow morning? Or maybe as soon as you get in the car and leave church. What does this, how does this practically play out? How does it practically play out? I, I would say that this, this idea of servant leadership and submitting in some houses may not come about or may not even come into play a whole lot because you sometimes never come into a situation where you're just butting heads and no one can make a decision. Other houses, it may be that you come to that place all the time. And you're wondering, how does this play out, this submitting and servant leadership? What does it look like when it comes down to 50-50 and someone has to break the tie? Who gets the deciding vote in your house? How do you break the tie if it comes down to a situation where, hey, I think this way and you think this way and we can't come to terms and somebody has to make a decision. When it comes to those situations and to be truthful, I think a lot of, you know, in a lot of marriages it may be a rare moment that it actually comes there. But when it comes to that situation, I would say you talk, you pray, you seek guidance on the situation. You love one another. You wait to hear from the Lord. If you're a wise husband, you are going to consult your wife. And a wise wife, you are going to consult your husband. You are going to pray and listen and ask God, what is the direction we should go? How should we, what should we do in this decision? What should we do in this situation? Then if you get to the place where you feel like we've still got two what look like good decisions, none of them are immoral, illegal, or unethical, ethical and they're right before us and we don't know what to do in that situation I would say wife let your husband be responsible for the decision let your husband take the responsibility that God has laid on him and be responsible for that decision and husband man of God be willing to make a decision Pray and seek God because in that moment, you will feel the weight and the burden to seek out the voice of God and the direction of God. And in that moment, make a decision and take responsibility for the decision that you have made. You are certainly going to do it in a way that loves your family, the way Christ loves his church, taking all things into account. But somebody will have to make a decision. And in that moment, husband, Take the responsibility and wife, in some ways, let the burden go. Let him take the responsibility. I'm not saying later you get to say, see, I told you so. That's not how it works. You're in this together. Don't mishear what I'm saying. 
You are in this together. But you let him take that responsibility, and then you support him in that responsibility and in that decision. What does it look like practically? I thought about some instances from my marriage. And I asked Wendy, I said, when does this played out in our marriage, these principles of servant leadership and submitting to headship, these things, when does it played out? And what's interesting is we both said the same thing like instantly. It was buying a car. This is constant, not buying a car. Almost every car we buy, this has come up. So the first car I bought... And in the language, you understand the problem here already. The first car I bought after we were married went something like this. I was driving home from work. I drove by a car that was for sale. I stopped. I test drove it. I found out the price. I called Wendy and said, hey, you got to come down and sign on the loan on the car I just bought. Not really the best way to buy a car with your wife. Not, that's not really Ephesians 5 um, in practice. Another car I bought, actually this one we bought more recently, I did a little bit better. Um, we had to get a new van, and so, you know, we went online, I went online, I found all the different vans, I asked Wendy exactly what you want, you know, what are the options, what's important to you, what's the color, do you like this one, you know, and so I did all that, and then I said, well, there's one down the street, it looks pretty good, I'm going to go down, I'll, you know, I'll check it out, and I'll see how it is, which was fine, but the next correspondent she got from me said, um, bring down the old van, I just traded it in, and here's a picture of your new van. A little better, not really Ephesians 5 either, <laughs> loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I, will have to, I do have to say in this, uh, Wendy um, was very supportive. She was Ephesians 5 all the way. She let me learn my mistakes on my own. But there was one instance where we bought a car, and it was actually in between these two. So I don't know why I didn't learn from it. But there was one instance where we bought a car, and we went down together. We bought the car, we looked at the car, we test drove the car, we looked at the options, you know, we both felt good about it. And here's the thing, Wendy's actually a better negotiator than I am, I think, in many ways. So we're buying the car, and they were handing over the keys, and she said, wait, there's only one of those little key fob things. And I didn't like this one little key fob thing. She's like, we're not buying the car if we don't get two of those key fob things. And I'm like, we're not buying the car if we don't get, are you kidding me? How much can those things cost? Just we'll buy another one. But the guy's like, all right, I'll give you two. I, you know, I usually don't. And I was like, so then I'm like realizing the blessing of a godly wife and consulting each other. It was a little more Ephesians 5. But it played out. But you know what? Usually it doesn't play out. A lot of times, it's not those big decisions. You don't buy a car every day. You're not buying a house every day. You're not moving. You're not changing jobs every day. Those are big things. But where it plays out more on a daily basis is when I'm at home and I am sitting in my recliner at the end of a long day and I hear the dishes starting to clang in the kitchen and I have a decision to make in that moment. And she doesn't say a word to me. And I don't even know that she knows I'm there. And maybe she doesn't even care that I'm sitting there. She probably does, but never says it. But the decision to, okay, get out of the chair and go and help with the dishes and go and help because she's had a long day too. Or the decision to get to know my wife enough to know that sometimes she just needs a break. And so I take the kids and say, let's just go for a walk. 
and give mom some mom time. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church, I think often happens more on a daily basis like that. It's not so much of jumping in front of a car if it comes. Because the truth is, if you're not dying to yourself on a daily basis, you probably won't do that either. Because your life has become more important to you than the one that you're called to serve and love. So I asked Wendy, I'm sure it's never come up for you that you've had, you know, struggled with living out this passage because being married to me, I'm sure everything is smooth and <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. She all too quickly came up with some examples. But, <laughs> you know, I asked her, when does this come into play for you? And she said, one is scheduling. She said, for her, she said, you know, for you, and, you know, we both have jobs, and they're both important, and we both want to do well at our work, and we both want to, you know, we want to, uh, you know, have favor and, and just do our best where we're working, but so I've learned that, you know, your job has, you know, my job here as a pastor has some particular dynamics to it, has some particular scheduling aspects to it, that I have just come to the place where I will organize my schedule, our family's schedule around, you know, what you have to do at church, and that's part of what I feel like my role is to do. And another thing I know that she does, um, when I have to go out at night, a lot of times, you know, the kids are, are bummed. They don't, you know, why does dad have to go out at night? Why can't we be home? And, and Wendy will, you know, come alongside and say, you know, you know God gets to, uh, dad, God, whoa, that was a big <laughs> Freudian slip. Dad, we submit to God together, not dad. Dad gets to serve the church Dad gets, we get to share dad with the church. And isn't it great that we get to support God's ministry? And she supports me by sharing that with the kids. And those are ways that I believe that I see Ephesians 5 lived out in our household. It's probably going to look different in your household. But what's not different is that wives are called in this passage to submit to the headship and the leadership of their husband as to the Lord. And that husbands are called to love their wives, to have servant leadership, loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Does that mean you pray for them? Absolutely, at least. Reading the Bible, doing everything you can to become more like Jesus? Yep. Leading your family so that your family becomes more like Christ, so that your wife can become all that God has created her to be? Yep, means all of that. And anything less than that is really sinning. Anything less than loving my wife as I see Jesus loving his church is falling short of what God has called me to. Christian wife, anything less than supporting and submitting to your husband as to the Lord, anything less than that, if you insist on being independent and being the one in your household that's going to run things and be ultimately responsible is sinning. So who is equal to such a task? None of us. The truth is we've all fallen short when we take roll call. When we take roll call, Christian husband, we've fallen short of loving our wife as Christ will love the church. There are times where you and I have not sacrificially loved. Christian wife, there are times where you have not supported. But 
The good news is that Christ is not just our model. He's not just our example. He's our Savior, and he offers forgiveness for us. So I'm going to ask our music ministry to return. And as they do, I really just want to enter us into a time of prayer about this. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me today as we close in prayer because I want you to think about this. I also recognize that here today, there are some here who you are here without your spouse. Perhaps you're married and your spouse is not here, not because they just are someplace else, but perhaps they're never here with you. And you're here because you follow Christ and your husband or wife doesn't and they're not in church with you. So how do you apply this message? The one piece of advice I would give you is you don't need permission to serve. You don't need permission to lovingly serve your husband. You don't need permission to lovingly serve your wife. You're just called to do it. And so you may go home as a different woman, as a different man, go home to your spouse and begin to live out this loving submission. Maybe, maybe you even have to confess. Maybe you even have to confess that you have not been following the Lord's direction. Maybe, Christian woman, you need to go home and say, look, I have not been the supporting wife that I know God wants me to be. Christian husband, maybe you need to go home and say, I have not loved you like Christ loves me. So maybe you need to confess that to them. But all of us, I would say today, have something we can repent of in order to become more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come before you, we come as fallen and broken people. We come as people who fall short of your ideal in so many ways. And so I thank you this morning for the model of Jesus Christ as the one who modeled perfectly submission to the Father's headship and leadership and will and also modeled perfectly servant leadership. But I also come, we come, Lord, as people who have fallen short and we come to fall upon your mercy and your grace and we come to ask forgiveness of the times where we have not served and led and and we have not lived out these commands in a Christian marriage and Christian household. When we have come and sung and said, Jesus, it's all about you. And we have come and sung and said, I am completely yours. And then we've left these doors and not lived out the clear commands and directives that you have given to us. So we come and confess that often we've given you the words of our mouth, but not the actions of our hands. And we come and ask for your forgiveness We come and ask for your redemption. We come and ask for your strength and your healing in our lives. 
Lord, I just want to pray for every Christian husband who's in here that you would help us to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Lord, that they would see us, Lord, laying down our lives on a daily basis, that they would see Christ in us. Lord, I want to pray for every Christian wife. Lord, especially that wife who may be in here who says and who's raised with that mentality that this word submission, this word, the idea that someone in the home would have leadership and headship just, just cannot wrap her head around that word. I ask that you would help her to see Jesus as her example, to see meekness and submission to leadership, not as something to be dreaded, but as something that might bring that marriage that she's longed for and has not yet been able to attain. Father, I also pray, Lord, if there's any marriages in here where there is abuse that is going on, Father, would you bring a stop to that and bring peace to these homes and remind us that we are called to mutually submit to one another. And Lord, as we do that, may our marriages and our homes represent Christ and your church to this world. And we ask it in his name.